What does the anthem Church Valley, All People Over My People mean? This valley means that we want to be a church that sees, loves, and reaches all peoples with the good news of Jesus Christ. God has strategically put Anthem Church here in Columbia, Missouri to reach all nations through the university, other schools, work, the whole city. We desire to be used by God to fulfill the promises found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, to see that vast multitude of believers in Christ from every nation, tribe, and language who will stand before God in heaven. Verse 10, that we would join with them forever, worshiping God and joining that victory cry, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's why we're here. All right, well, good morning, Anthem. We are continuing our series on our values as a church. And again, we're doing this topical series. Again, usually at Anthem, we do, we just preach through books of the Bible. Um, but every now and then, we do uh, a series on a specific topic. And right now, we're uh, looking at our values as a church. And the reason why we're doing this, we've said, is because as the world around us, our values are what anchor us. The things that never change about us as a church. And one of the things as we were considering our values, we knew that one thing must be included, which is one of the obvious things, especially in this service right now, which is uh, a value of valuing the next generation. We're a church that values reaching the next generation, right? We have Salt Company, and a lot of our resources are funneled there, but also we live in a college town, so we should be valuing what it looks like to reach the next generation. But one of the things as we discussed this was we realized that the value needed to go deeper than just the next generation, that actually it should include all generations, right? It's, by the way, Happy Mother's Day, right? We should value mothers and grandmothers and all generations in the body of Christ. But also then we realize it should go even deeper than that, that we not only value all generations, but actually what we see biblically is that we as the church are called to value all people, as Omar just alluded to in the video, but I'll go to Revelation 5. This is the vision that God gives us. He says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. God, the, the vision that we're given scripturally is that God is creating a people for himself, a forever people, the people of God. And this people is made of all generations, all skin colors, all cultural expressions, all classes of people, male and female. And the church throughout all time, especially the church today, while it's not a perfect expression of that ideal, we are called to value that ideal and to strive for that as a church. And therefore, our third value is all people over my people. We strive to value, to include all generations versus just mine, all ethnicities in our city over just mine, all classes of people over just mine. Now, I know as I start to talk about this subject, the room gets very quiet because this is quite a hot-button issue right now to even address this. As I was pondering this this week, 
I kept coming back to this famous statement that many of you have probably heard that Martin Luther King Jr. said, which was he claimed, 11 a.m. Sunday is our most segregated hour. 11 a.m. Sunday is our most segregated hour. He was talking about in America, and he obviously was alluding to in the church. And of course, this was true, especially in the Jim Crow South. And even today, we have a sense of this lingering reality, and we wrestle with this as our whole culture, our whole countries, especially been wrestling with what we do in terms of race and our history. But here's what I want to say with that, because at 11 a.m. Sunday and the church being segregated, here's what I want to pause and I want to consider, which is what I say, which is it seems that actually it hasn't gotten any better. Only instead of it being purely along racial lines, now the church is dividing along every single sociological category. In other words, things seem to be getting worse. Segregation seems to be getting worse. It seems that we're dividing. If you think about it, there are now thousands more denominations than since the 1960s. Churches dividing along not only racial lines, but divided along political, generational, class lines. Different kinds of cultural expressions. In fact, in a day, I would say when it seems our very concern is to overcome these divisions, to overcome this segregation, in fact, it's actually getting worse. And I think that the cultural undercurrent that is causing this in our culture is starting to creep its way into the church. So that's the angle I want to come at this from today. Because what are we to do with this? If we're becoming more deeply divided, more segregated, what are we to do? Paul, in this passage in Ephesians, addresses the early church struggle to do exactly that, to value all people over my people. They were un, they were, he's he's going to unpack this division and what's going on and why they're dividing into, and, and essentially it looks like just standing across the aisle saying, it's my people, not those people. Cast them out. Those Gentiles. We'll see that Paul says we must first, in order to address this, see how God views all people. And then second, we're going to look at how and why this is deepening in our day. And then lastly, we're going to look at how do we value all people. Before we dive into this, we need to pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, as we sang earlier, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. You are the cornerstone. You are our only hope. Lord, in an age where we honestly go to war with one another culturally, Lord, you are creating a people who that war cry will become a cry of worship, of unity in who you are, and praise of you forever. And Lord, this seems so absolutely impossible in the world that we live in today. Lord, I ask that today you would heal the lines of division that run through all of our hearts. The Lord, we would see where we even, the, in some of these ways, the divisions that we're going after are actually the way that we're seeking salvation. Lord, help us today to find salvation in you alone, to find our identity in you alone. And from that, Lord, would we build 
would we see this family being built up, united upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, God's view of all people. In, in the letters of Paul, he often addresses divisions emerging in the early church. How to value all people, or he's addressing essentially in the church where they're valuing my people, my tribe, over all people. And how they're dividing a lot. They're unnecessary. They're unbiblical. Lines along the rich and poor. So just a, a, a quick sampling of all these different kind of categories. He addresses rich and poor in 1 Corinthians. If you remember the kind of the communion passage where the, it seems like the like good wine and good food, and then others are going hungry, and he's saying, hey, don't let these class divisions come into the church. He addresses it there. If you read the book of James, James also addresses a lot in the book of James about favorably, you know, showing favor to someone who's rich and, and unfavor towards someone who's poor, and so we have class lines that are addressed, and we have ethnicity. If you think about even in the Gospels with the Samaritans, and we just went over that in the Gospel of John a few weeks ago, we have sex. In, in, in Christ, he says there's neither male nor female. Paul says, Paul says this of Christ in Colossians. Expression, Paul has to go into in Corinthians as all these different cultural backgrounds are coming together. He talks about how to be orderly in worship and, and kind of all this infighting that's breaking out over just kind of the different ways of expressing worship to God. And then also across generations, if you just think about when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, don't let them disregard you for your youth. They're looking, they're saying, hey, you're young, what wisdom can you give me? And then, of course, the younger generation are saying, ah, you guys are outdated, right? We know it's a tale as old as time, these divisions. And, and they have to be addressed. And listen, guys, I know during this series I'm going after some of, especially some of the cultural stuff, which I'll go to in a minute. I'm doing this because what we're saying with our values is that these are the very things we must cling to in order to navigate what is this tsunami right now that is hitting the Western Hemisphere. And God has given us truths that anchor his people to the foundation of who he is, to the cornerstone, as we'll see. And so we do well to be very careful in how we think about these things. So Paul's addressing it. And so we could turn to several different passages, but I'm turning to Ephesians for a reason. And that's because in the Ephesian church, Paul addresses, and in some ways you could say it's like a catch-all term. He addresses all of these different issues in this one uh, kind of categories that he's being used, which are this thing of circumcision and uncircumcision. That's rising. If you look at verse 1, again, Ephesians 2, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the called the uncircumcision, so they're calling the Gentiles uncircumcised, by what is called the circumcision, which would be the Jews, those who have been circumcised, which is made in the flesh by hands. As the church was formed, some came to Christ as former Jews, and they were circumcised. Some came to Christ as former pagans or Gentiles, and so they were uncircumcised. And there was a big fight over whether, especially by those who are circumcised, whether those who are uncircumcised were clean, were fit. See, they were not my people. They were those people. Baked into those broad categories of circumcision and uncircumcision are divisions along race, cultural expression, class, kind of lumped up into one. And Paul says these categories became illegitimate walls that were segregating and dividing the church. And that the work of God in Jesus Christ, did that just turn on? Sorry. 
I was like, am I having a stroke? Sorry. I was like, <laughs> I was like okay, good, good. You saw it. I really did have a moment there. Uh, someone else is going to have to finish this sermon. They became illegitimate lines that segregated the church, and the work of God and Jesus Christ is to break down those walls and make one man, one people. Look at verses 14 and 15 then. Because he goes on to say, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ in verse 12. But now, he says in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now, notice there, there's this kind of salvation language there, which we're going to come back to, which is he's saying, listen, you're starting to, to think that it, remember, you're saved by Christ. That's what saved you. And there's something connected to you when you're looking across at someone saying, no, 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 no. They can't be saved because they're not circumcised. I'm saved because I'm what? Circumcised. Has nothing to do at this point with Christ is what Paul is setting up. But he says, now you've been, he says, he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, he's saying, listen, God is making one people. God, where there's this division, God is at work to make one people. Now, what is under that division? Again, interestingly, Paul frames this section in the context of this rich teaching on salvation. Right here in the middle of this kind of division being overcome between these people, it's in the context of one of the richest passages, one of the densest theological chapters in the Bible on salvation. And that's interesting. So note, why does he do this? Well, because, Paul says, one, you can't value people rightly until you see them through the lens of salvation. In other words, as God sees them, their status in relation to God. And two, as we'll see, Paul is going to draw out how segregation occurs where salvation is distorted. So how does God see people? That first part. Another way to ask the question is, why does God value saving all kinds of people? Right? Why does the Bible end with this vision of God saving people from every tribe and tongue and nation? And why does he value doing that? Why does God choose to do that? Well, creation, I'm just going to hit on creation, fall, Redemption, restoration. Why? What's, what's this picture that God has of all people? Well, if you start with creation, all human beings are intrinsically valuable. They're made in the image of God. They have dignity. They have worth because, again, they're made in the image of God. There's something about diversity that reflects something of who God is. And even as cultures develop and their cultural expressions, there's something in there that can glorify God. And God's saying, I want to bring that. I want to redeem that. I want to I see that give this kind of kaleidoscope of glory throughout eternity. People, all people of every race, tongue, cultural expression are made for relationship with God. This is why Pentecost happens, right? Pentecost happens because God brings people with all these languages, all these cultures, all these races, and he draws them together. And then the spirit of God falls on them and unites them around the spirit of God and becoming the people of God and then sends them out throughout the world. Because God values in his redemption. It's a picture of what he's doing throughout the world. But all people are fallen. Go back and look at Ephesians 2. 
1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work now in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of all mankind, all people. There is a wall of division, and that wall of division is between a holy God and sinful humanity. This also means that sin pollutes all cultural expressions, nations, classes, all people, because all groups are people, mankind. There's no pure people. So salvation cannot and does not come from belonging to a class, a race, a gender, or a generation. Instead, all people need redemption, Paul goes on to say in verse 4. So right after this thing, he says, but God. This is one of the biggest buts, right, in Scripture, right, where it's like, oh, everyone, I'm a child of wrath, and Paul's like, but God, right? Keep reading, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So you keep just reading. He just flows and just, you prick Paul and he just bleeds Jesus. He's just like, do you understand the grace of God? And so therefore now that what matters, and, and for the sake of focusing in this here, what matters for those in Christ is not the blood in your veins. It's not the surface level things, but it is the blood of Christ that matters. That is what makes you one. That is what unites you. This is why Paul addresses the divisions over circumcision because saying you're not seeing the blood, the spiritual reality, but you're looking at just surface, skin level realities. And dividing over those. And he says, if you catch hold of that, the restoration, the ultimate culmination, where this all leads is in verse 19 and 22, when he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer strangers to one another. You're no longer aliens to one another. You're, you're brothers, you're sisters. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What he's saying is that what was lost in the fall, the divisions that we've erected in our sin, the ways we've categorically rejected one another, with, yes, the biases and the bigotries and the hatreds and all these things that are in our hearts, those things are being overcome. And he says they're overcome, all these fleshly divisions, by being a part of one body and starting with the fact that it's built on the cornerstone and you share one blood, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. Our call, then, as a church is to value 
See, we are all, we are made into one people, made up of all people. Because God is a God who is gracious. And listen, the gospel, the salvation of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus can translate into any language, any time, any generation, any cultural expression. And it can be turned then to praise him. And so our call is to value all people as God values all people, seeing them. What I mean by that is seeing them as he sees them and start there. To see them as they are in Christ, either in or not, before skin level categories. To see them first as they are in Christ. Humanity, there are two groups in humanity, either in Christ or apart from Christ. And we're called to see all people in those categories before we see any of the skin level categories. Now, more on how and what to do with that, but first, why are we becoming more deeply segregated, divided in our day? In Paul's day, the church was tempted to reject God's way of seeing others. All, all people, settling instead to view others according to worldly standards. Now, this happens in every generation. It crosses, happens in every culture. It's happened throughout time. It's happened in many different ways. Because of sin, it is natural to judge based on surface, skin-level things, right? Black, white, brown, rich, poor, old, young. It's why it's cliche, right, in all of our literature, in all of our movies, to all of our media, art forms, to group, right, like a common way to tell your story is to group people by like these sociological categories, right? Like so we all know like the lunch cafeteria thing, right? So most movies, it's like you have the lunch cafeteria. And what, what happens? Each table represents a different sociological group, right? This is why you have shows like Modern Family. How are the characters organized and how, why are they, they're kind of like a, a straw man for all these different sociological categories. And the drama to us, why we, it resonates with us is because we watch it because we go, it's really interesting when you put all these people in one family and you see them go, you know, work out life together, right? Because it resonates with us, the divisions that are built into this fallen world. And the history of our country, as well as the world, is one of slavery, division, apartheid, and class warfare. Today, though, this division is happening due to a unique dynamic. A new undercurrent, a new pressure that I would say is equally divisive and I would say is actually more deeply segregating. To unpack, it'd be helpful to consider that creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And I want to do it, doing it through... The modern secular story. And again, the reason why I'm doing this is not because I want to just say, well, this is what's happening out there. What I'm saying, church, remember the original illustration for this entire series was the idea of houses being moved off the foundation because of waters that are coming. And what I would say is that what happens nowadays is we're, we can't help but drink from the cultural waters. And some of these things begin to be the way that we relate to one another. So creation. If there is no God, then we're steeped in a culture, in which we're, we're, we are steeped in a culture that claims there is no God, or obviously we can make God what we want to make of him or, you know, her, right? 
So view all truth ethical claims as socially constructed. They're made by people. We went over this a few weeks ago when we went over the value of God's word over our opinion. We've seen this. But if everything's constructed and we construct all meaning, we construct all truth, if everything's just an accident and so therefore there are no universals and we as people, as society, get to construct all of it, then how does that change our understanding of the fall? This is key. Because if truth is constructed, then right and wrong are constructed. And therefore, our sense of guilt is constructed because there are no universal wrongs. Instead, someone claimed it was wrong. And here's the key. In fact, some group or some people defined right or wrong, truth and lies, what is meaningful and what is not. And therefore, the way to deal with our guilt is to figure out which group messed things up. In other words, if everything, if the guilt that we feel is actually not because of something that's really there, but it's actually because of the fact that somebody constructed a truth and then constructed an ethical system, then actually the way that you deal with your guilt is to identify who is it that constructed it, what group of people constructed it. And identify them. The result, obviously, is that the fall then is not that we're sinners, but that we are actually victims of that group. And we deal then with our guilt by blaming or scapegoating those groups with perceived power to have constructed society in the first place. And as a result, that group in our day becomes the new uncircumcised or unclean people. And the way to deal with guilt, to find salvation in our age, is by not being like those people. See, it's the same dynamic that Paul, the ancient dynamic that Paul is addressing. It's just unpacked in a modern secular way. Because it's giving priority to sociological, skin-level, surface-level, group identity markers when evaluating others. Versus God's view of others. So where once you were bad, wrong because you were uncircumcised, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, now you are bad, wrong because you are black, white, cisgender, Republican, Democrat of that generation. And salvation is found in not being like those people. By distancing them from them, dividing, segregating. The way our culture is attempting to find salvation, in other words, here's the key thing, is through segregation. It's just different categories. In fact, redemption, then, if you fall through, that's creation and then the fall, then what's redemption? Redemption then becomes activism against that uncircumcised, those people. We must dissociate, cancel, divide, and deconstruct groups. Activism is the new atonement because only in activism do I become atonement. Another way of saying it is at one mint. Atonement says we become at one with Jesus. Instead, the atonement of activism makes us at one with the right group. In other words, it's the only way to find salvation. Must tear down not the dividing wall, but tear down the group or the people who perceive, we perceive to have erected that wall. 
And then restoration is to eliminate, repress, cleanse, scourge the land of what I perceive as the uncircumcised people. When you give group identity, big word, but I'll unpack it, epistemological priority. When you give it rational, ethical, philosophical priority when you're thinking about other people, whether it's generation, whether it's race, whether it's sex, then segregation is not only an inescapable outcome, segregation is the path to salvation. Because those people must be cast out to make heaven on earth. Hopefully I've been only have so much time to unpack this, and there are a lot of different threads that we could go into. I know this is, some of it's complex, it's heavy. It's Babel all over again. It's eliminating all distinctions in the one expression of humanity. My pure people. Only accelerated and enabled by technology at an unprecedented pace. And this way of evaluating people, navigating the world, is becoming such an undercurrent that I think in many ways we're all drinking from the waters. It's starting to enter the church in the way that we think about one another. Because we feel the pull to give priority to political party, cultural expression, race, ideology over Christ. Because valuing my people, if we, just, if we live with valuing my people over all people, then we'll say, if you agree with these things, then we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. But the gospel says, if you are in Christ, we are one, full stop. And then you work out the other things from there. If we have that, then we will value all people, we'll value all generations, we'll value all classes, all races, all temperaments, cultural expressions, whatever you want to say. But until we find our hope fully, that sense of what makes us righteous in Christ, we will find our salvation through division. I know this is not easy. I'm not going to pretend it is, nor pretend that there are easy answers. But there is one true, sure truth we must cling to. What unites us is the blood of Christ, and that is not a cop-out. That is our confession. To whom else can we turn? You have words of eternal life. We stand on God's word. Value one, we stand on God's word over our opinion. Value two, actively engage versus passively withdrawing from the world. And we do it by while valuing all people so that as Paul says then in verses 15 and 16, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And one day when he comes again, he'll bring together all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all people. Our job is to keep him at the forefront, to give him priority. And begin there. And that's where Paul takes us. Lastly, how to value all people. God has revealed that one day heaven and earth will be filled with all kinds of people. Which means very different from my people. Right? We all have people who we share affinities with, who we're comfortable with, right? It, it means heaven is going to be filled with people who are 
very much unlike you, very much unlike me. And listen, it's a promise, it's not a threat. It's a beautiful, it's meant to be worship. We should see that and go, yes. Every skin color, every form of cultural expression, every patriotic leaning, patriotism is not necessarily bad, by the way, but now beating to the same refrain, that war cry becoming a cry of praise, worthy are you, worthy are you, because you were slain and you broke down the wall of hostility where we just kept erecting one. And Paul says, as the church, we get to grow into that, valuing that reality, but how? How do we do this in our day? And there are, listen, there are so many different places where we could go with this. I want to focus in on what two dynamics Paul gives us here to land the plane. There's one thing with the secular myth right now that it doesn't give, which is forgiveness, reconciliation. And that's where Paul's going to take us. First, notice that Paul says, look at verses 19 and 22 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but there, these verses have a lot to teach us about how to value all people over my people, but notice first that Paul says some things about being the people of God are done and some things are ongoing. Some things are completed, some things are ongoing. What is done? Paul says, you are fellow citizens, saints, members of one family. Why? Because your status, your identity is built on what God has revealed in his word and what he's revealed in Christ in the finished work of Christ. And so he's saying, I can say it's completed, it's done. Your status cannot be affected. Why does that matter? Because it means it doesn't matter what our culture or you think about groups of people. What matters is what God thinks and what he's done. And he, had ju he has judged all people, sinners, and made a way through the blood of Christ. The principle, shedding blood in culture wars will not atone for your sins or make you righteous. And I'm talking about the entire spectrum, or you could say either side, may make us feel better in the moment. I think we all get that, right? In the moment, ah, send, right? And you're like, oh, yes, right? Like, it feels, it feels good, right? Wrath. Feel good for a moment, but it doesn't change how God sees you or others. In other words, it's not the sacrifice he seeks. This is so much now. Remember, Paul, and think about this. Paul's talking about these divisions in the church, and you can imagine they're warring against one another. And so where does Paul go at the end of the letter? Chapter 6, he says this in verse 12, and when he's talking about the armor of God, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Church, hear this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there are so many different things we can do with that. And then you say, well, what do I do with like when I'm engaging politically? And isn't there a place for that? Yes, there is. But you have to start here because I think what happens is within the church, we are so quick right now to get into a battle posture with one another. 
Are you my people or those people? This is why we're so trigger happy over simple language, right? Or I quote somebody and then everyone melts down. Or somebody, you know, you guys say something, you refer to something from this side and you refer from this side. And then all the time we're so trigger happy. Why? Because we're trying to constantly value, are you my people? Because our disposition is fight. It's quick to categorize others as heretics for sociological differences and burn them at the stake. What's dividing the church right now is not theology, especially evangelicalism. It's not the four key tenets of theology, which are we all agree on new birth. We all agree on the Great Commission. We all agree on the atonement of the blood of Christ. We all agree on the sufficiency of Scripture. We all agree on those four. That's historical. What's dividing the church right now are all the sociological distinctives. We still agree on all these things. There is no simple answer, but here's what I would say. Paul says you are being built up into a family. What if our disposition towards one another was literally, if, if we took Paul's word literally, that we are literally brothers and sisters? And, and what I mean by that is you will be less likely, if you have a, a brother or sister, a biological brother or sister, when you go, what do you do? You go home, you sit at the table, and you hash these things out, right? But you know what doesn't change? You never change or question, are you my brother, are you my sister, and everything you discuss is built up from there. All the debates, all the things are necessary to talk about and actually fight over and get to some conclusions and figure out how to practically work things out. But it all starts with, we are brothers, we are sisters, not division, but peace. As we'll see in a little bit, this is why every Sunday we meet at the table. And Christ calls us to every time we gather. Paul says, have this disposition because it will force you to go back to the cornerstone. It will force you to go back to Jesus. It will force you to go back to the Bible. Not just it anchors you in him versus just floating off and just arguing for whatever movement or platform that's there. It will only lead, it will not only lead to healthy interactions, but safeguard your soul. But second, Paul says, not only is there Completed language, but ongoing language. Paul uses ongoing language. He says, being joined together, being built together into a dwelling place, valuing all people over my people will take, in other words, ongoing work. It's a process, which means we must be willing to forgive. We must be willing to extend grace to one another. Listen, I say this because we are all under massive pressure to fight. Every one of us. The, the, the cultural pressure right now is to just constantly divide and fight over every single sociological category. Because literally, according to the way thing, the new paradigm, literally to save our souls, we do it by fighting. There is no forgiveness. Just continually offering the sacrifices of those we can cancel as the blood that covers our sins. We're so swept up and sinned against, we sinned against one another through cutting words, gossip, thoughts, assumptions. Yet Paul says in the midst of that, in the midst of us getting swept up in this moment, in the midst of just kind of getting that fighting disposition and realizing this wasn't a debate built on the foundation of Christ, this was just trying to war against one another because I'm trying to in some way save my own soul and atone for my sense of guilt. 
Paul says something else is going on in the midst of it, is ongoing. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The grace of God and the blood of Christ is always sufficient, even for our worst divisions. And in every church, this church, we are founded and sustained upon that cornerstone. The imagery of the houses being moved, you know, in the original image, if you heard it from the sermons, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. And we're, we've been swept away by this, and we're kind of like these dilapidated houses that have been carried away, and we're trying now to operate with one another in that dilapidated state. And Paul's saying, if you've been divided, if you've been warring, get yourself back on that cornerstone. Don't go down this road of continually just fighting and going to assumptions and tearing people down in your heart. It will put root bitterness into your heart. It will put just the fires of wrath of hell in your heart, weeping and gnashing, rather than finding peace. So my question is, do you need to forgive or seek forgiveness for treating or assuming someone in this body as assuming that they were those people? Talking about someone as if they are those uncircumcised, as if they're not my people. Say, go to them, put down your sword, throw yourself on the cornerstone. This, that is the path to heaven, to joy, to life. Again, I could give many principles about how we work together across generational, class, racial, cultural differences. But what I'm saying is here's where we start The way to hold this value is by allowing Christ to break down the dividing wall of hostility so that we learn to see all people as Christ sees them. As verse 12 and 13 says, as those who, like us, were at one time separated from Christ. Christ sees them as those who are like us, separated from Christ, but now offered the grace of God. So that our war cry would be replaced with a cry of praise. That lasts forever. Worthy are you. Imagine and close your eyes those who are very different. Crying out around with a heavenly throng. The war cry is done. And crying out together when Jesus enters the stage and saying, worthy are you. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and every language and people and nation. Anthem, let's be a church that values all people over just merely my people. For the sake of our own souls and for the sake of those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, there are so many things historically, so many realities in our day, so many hurts, pains, so many things, Lord, this could be 10, 15 hours of, to adequately address all these things. And so, Lord, help to anchor our hearts wherever we're coming from in this truth that we have no other place to go but to throw ourselves on you and your grace. Lord, help us to see others 
through the lens of the, of, of the gospel, of your word, of Christ. Do you see all people, not through the lens of just my people, my tribe. You see it through the lens of Christ and the hope of salvation. Lord, these are weighty things in our day, filled with so many accusations, filled often with more heat than light, more seeking to condemn than seeking to actually understand. And so, Lord, would you give your people grace for this spirit? Would you do this work? You are building us up into a dwelling place by you, spirit. Would you do this work? Would you root out in us or something, this, an unhealthy division or segregation is taking place in our soul when you give us salvation in Christ alone? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.